Good evening, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, won't you please, the next one half hour as we take a look at local, Canadian, and independent cinema. Well, I gotta tell you, it's a banner week for the EIFF, at least on this program, because we got nothing but EIFF interviews this week. Uh, We speak with Jeremy Lalonde, friend of the show. We've talked to him before. A couple years ago, a film he had was here. This year, he's got a film called Sex After Kids, and it premieres on Saturday, September 28th. We speak with him, as well as Matt Kowalchuk and Daniel Arnold, another Canadian duo of filmmakers who have a film called Lawrence and Holloman. And it's going to be making, well, it's Alberta premiere, but actually it's only the second screening it's ever had. So maybe it's like second world premiere (laughs) on Friday, October 4th. And also it's going to be screening on Saturday, October 5th. And finally, uh, if you like the punk rock, and especially if you love The Descendants and all, I speak with director, producer, and writer of the film Filmage, the story of Descendants all. It's Matt Riggle. So a whole lot of EIFF content this week because, of course, the Edmonton International Film Festival kicks off on September 26th and carries all the way through to October 5th, and we're gearing up for it with three great interviews of films featured in that festival. So it's all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio with me, your host, Christian Zip. No, no, God, no, I'm not, no love for me, just uh, just casual. I mean, God, who in the right mind's looking for a single mum, you know? I mean, maybe a pedophile, I suppose. Not that you're a pedophile, are you? No. No one's afraid of a... What most couples don't realise is that seven to 20 minutes is all it takes to have sex. Hmm. Less time than laundry. Hmm. I'm sorry, are you criticising the way that I do laundry? A, A woman needs certain things done to her to build up to a climax. You mean you've never had an orgasm? Oh, I have orgasms all the time. I just never have them with you. Joining me on the phone today is, uh, that's it. Once you do second appearance, you're automatically friend of the show. It's Jeremy Lalonde. Uh, He is a writer. He's a director. He's a producer of the film Sex After Kids. Uh, don't. This is a very interesting film. Don't insinuate something dirty about it. It's going to be happening on Saturday, September 28th, and that is going to be part of the Edmonton International Film Festival. Jeremy, welcome back to Moving Radio. Uh, thanks for having me on, Christian. It is my pleasure, man. Uh, this film, I think, is is really quite funny, and and it's got it's got a little something for everybody. It frightened me. I'm pretty sure it might frighten my grandparents just because <laughs> just because I'm I'm really scared as to how much you're kind of in my head and in my bedroom. So, oh, you have, you have kids, right? Uh, well, see, it it did it for me even though I don't even have kids. I was like oh, wow. just just even the sex parts. <laughs> I was like I was like, <laughs> oh, man, true. I got a cat and this shit happens to me. And, you know what? I mean, that's, that's been kind of the beauty and I've had that that great response from people that you know, that have kids, don't have kids, want kids, don't want kids. It, it, it works on all levels uh, because, you know, I approached it with such honesty. Uh, and, you know, you know, for me, I, I do have two kids. I have a, a four-and-a-half-year-old and almost two-year-old. And so for me, it was, you know, I wrote it as a love letter to parents to basically say, I, I get it. 
I get what you're going through. I mean, it's hard to go through kind of plot-wise because it's a, it's a bit of an ensemble piece in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and speaks to a lot of different people. Um, we've kind of alluded to what it is, but maybe if you want to touch on it a little bit more of like, you know, w- what the film is about and, uh, you know, why you wanted to come at it from so many different angles, too, about all these different people's lives. Yeah, I mean, so there's like there's about five or six uh, stories that in, in, intertwine in it. There's the you know the newlywed couple that hasn't had sex in a year. There's uh, a retired couple whose last child is headed off to university, and now they're looking at each other and wondering, you know, what are we now? Are we just friends? We haven't had a really strong re- romantic relationships in, in decades. Uh, there's uh, like a, a former eight couple, or not a former eight couple, but like a you know a, a former model. Now she's like a soccer mom, and her high profile husband is wondering if he could ever be attracted to her again. There's a lesbian couple who is starting to wonder if they're on the same page when it comes to parenting. And then there's a single mom who's, uh, whose deadbeat brother shacks up with her and gives her horrible, horrible dating advice. And then there's also there's a single dad character who uh, kind of intertwines the stories a lot. But yeah, so for me, I mean, I wanted to... When I first came up with the idea, I knew that it's just such a huge idea, and I didn't want to just do a story about one couple because I knew I wouldn't be doing it justice. Because, I mean, even now, even after, I still have more ideas. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have put that in and then that and that. And I just throw them away for something else. But, uh, yeah, so I think it was always going to be an ensemble for me because I just knew there was such a breadth of stories, and I wanted to try to be able to tackle it from as many angles as possible. I, I think you did a, a, an incredibly commendable job. Uh, I'm just almost wondering, Jeremy, in watching it, what the research process was like. Was it? Uh, did you have to ask a lot of creepy questions to your friends, or were you like, "I know this stuff is happening," or were you like, yeah. "This is too much of a biopic, and my wife is gonna like really be upset when she reads this"? <laughs> there is some of that in there. It's funny, um, and I think that's the case. Is when I watch it back with certain people, and, I, and I'm uncomfortable. I know it's, it's because I'm uncomfortable because it's real and it's honest. Uh, I mean, the, the process of writing the, the script was kind of unique um, because I cast it first for the most part, and then I wrote uh, the, the, the characters with actors kind of already attached or at least in mind. Uh, and, and I really, really invited the cast because a lot of them are parents themselves. And so I invited them to, if they had a better idea, to throw it at me. There's a, there's a sequence when you see it with Amanda Bruegel's character, who plays the, the former model, uh, where she has kind of a unique uh, dysfunction that's a result of her, uh, her having a child. And, uh, and that comes from her real life. I think you know what scene I'm talking about. Oh, yes, I do. We won't, we won't spoil it for people that have seen no. it yet. Well, this is the thing that's torturous for me almost. Is like I don't want to give stuff away, but it's like we could revisit scenes, but uh, you just <laughs> you have to know that there are things in there that after you're done seeing this film that you're going to be chatting about for quite a while and, and yeah. reliving its hilarious uncomfortableness. And I promise you anything that's in there, uh, if you sit back and say, well, that, that would never happen, I promise you it's in there because it did happen. To somebody, either it was a cast member that, that threw that story at me and I found it irresistible to put in, or it was a friend of mine, or it was myself. Uh, there's nothing in there that didn't actually happen to somebody or that I read somewhere. I, I steal a lot. That's kind of what I do. I just, I, I listen to people a lot and I have a notebook that I always have on me and I just borrow everyone else's lives. 
Yeah, I, I think it works well because it's almost this like, it's that kind of softened uh, Woody Allen-esque idea of coming at it that way. So, I mean, it's not uncomfortable because it's like, oh, my God, this is horrendous. It's more just like, yep, I felt like that, and that's hard to negotiate. <laughs> it's like, I I thought that, and I wanted to say it, or it's like, damn, that happened. So, I, I thought oh, it, was, yeah, so, it played yeah, out well. You would have wanted to say, but you didn't actually say it. It's, it's all hindsight. You, you're much more witty in hindsight. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I want to see this with my grandparents just so I can be like, what's the, is this, this something has to be ringing true here, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, you can see it on September 28th at 7 p.m. That's right. It's part of the Edmonton International Film Festival. It's going to be, as always, at the Empire City Center Cinemas, which is the heart of the AIFF. And Jeremy Lalonde himself is going to be there at the screening, as well as you can have some friends there, right? Uh, Chris yep. Holden Reed, who is that your male muse? Is that what this is? Chris? Uh, yeah. I love Chris. He's a good friend of mine now. And yeah, I, I love the shit out of that guy. Oh, I, can I say? Maybe you just did. Up. You love the poop out of him. It's okay. Dude, I love the poop out of that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris Holdery and 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 a woman I love the poop out of too. Uh, Joey Palmer will be there as well. Yeah, and your producer as well. And our producer Jennifer Leo. Yeah, will be there as well. So it'll be. I mean, it's going to be a great screening because the movie is a lot of fun, and and those people in a Q and A are just phenomenal. These guys are back, and with a fury, man. It's just it's it, it's right here in my heart to see these guys again. This is Milo of the Descendants, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm Bill. Bill. All of the music around us was top forty. Frank came up with the Descendants, and he had the funny spelling, you know, thought he was clever. Seeing Bill Stevenson for the first time on this bicycle that's like three or four sizes too small. That was the first time I played with, like, let's call it real people, and I was really nervous and really scared and really just young and kind of out of place. Bigger dorks, better songs. Which I don't understand. And she cats like that in other bands. I feel like I was almost born in Descendant. Tony and Frank and Billy come to Stevenson. Of course, Milo. Milo. Milo was kind of iconic. You know, he had his own logo. I've just got this whole dichotomy of desires. You know, I want to rock out. I want to be like a punk rock guy. But I also have this really strong ambition to be a scientist. Botanist, chemist, something like that. Joining me on the phone today is director, producer, and writer Matt Riggle. And we're talking today about the film... Filmage, the story of Descendants All. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, uh, maybe you need to bone up on your punk rock history because they are a monumental part of the scene as they continue to be as well. And this is a documentary about the story of both these bands and uh, just how similar they are, how they're completely intertwined. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, it's it's great to have you here. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a chance to take a look at the film. Uh, it screens on Tuesday, October 1st at 7 p.m. as part of the Edmonton International Film Festival. Uh, but in previewing it earlier, uh, like about a month ago or so, I was just uh, blown away by it and, and loved it a lot. And I wasn't a, a monumental fan of the bands either. Like, I knew them. I liked them. Uh, I had seen all, but I wasn't lucky enough. I haven't seen Descendants yet. Uh, but it's seen all a couple mm-hmm. times. And I really loved the documentary. It was uh, it worked completely for me. Well, great. That's good to hear. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, for anybody who's in an uninformed, because I don't think this is one of those films where it's like, well, if you don't know the band, it's going to be an awful experience because there's right. some great stories in it. Maybe talk to us a little bit about uh, filmage itself, what, who Descendants and all are, and then we can get into a little bit more of the technical stuff. 
Sure. Well, uh, so the Descendants are a punk band. They started in the late 70s. And uh, kind of the leader of the band and the focal point of our movie is their drummer, Bill Stevenson. He's kind of what well, I guess you would consider him kind of the band leader. He's the, uh, to this day, he's really the, the only original member, and he's just kind of been the uh, the uh, powerhouse that has, like, fueled this thing uh, for 30-plus years. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really the movie is kind of the story of Bill Stevenson in, in, in a lot of ways um, because he is his band, you know. So, yeah, it, it's a, a band that just started in the 70s um, and kept going. You know, that's really what this movie, to me, is about. It's about these people who don't quit at anything, you know. And uh, they changed their band name uh, in, during their career to All because the singer of their descendants left to become a scientist. And so, uh, you know, they found themselves... Uh, without a singer, they got a new singer and got a new band name, but it's really, in a a lot of fans' eyes, and certainly in my eyes, it's kind of been the same band uh, all this time, and now the original singer, the scientist, Milo, he's back in the picture, he's he's come back in and out of their career for the last, you know, couple of decades, and so he's back again, and, you know, they're going by descendants again right now. You know, I, I thought this is one of the most fo- fascinating points about the film here, Matt, is that, you know, it, it maybe doesn't follow the uh, stereotypical, you know, story that a punk rock band might follow, their kind of career trajectory, right? Um, you know, they've got an incredible amount of street cred, that's for sure, in the scene itself. But it wasn't necessarily like um, they were all these, you know, like hardcore skaters who were like straight up mohawks and, you know, Milo <laughs> bucks every trend that there is about any, you exactly. know. It's almost the anti-rancid story, anti, you know what I mean? <laughs> like Lars sure. looks very different from these cats. So I thought that was probably one of the most uh, engaging things about them is that, you know, they kind of were very punk in their own way by they, bucking yeah, the they, trends they of punk. Not, they, don't, they don't care. They didn't then. They don't now. They never have cared about any of that uh, with, with regard to looks or anything. You know, maybe uh, I may be speaking for them here, but I would say the only thing Kind of that they care about the punk rock community is just kind of that energy that they you know they, they certainly carry that forward. Everything else kind of look punk. They don't act like it, you know. Um, and they're a, a very singular band, you know. In the punk rock world, uh, you know, they they do they do kind of stick out by not sticking out, you know. People are always uh, interested to know who you interview in a film like this. Uh, and, you know, you're always looking for big gets for interviews, too. Uh, maybe just talk to us a little bit about, not necessarily has to be the biggest names, but who are some of the most engaging people that you spoke to uh, outside of the band? Because I know people like Bill, who is the center of the film, I thought was just fascinating. And his story is amazing, too. But who were some people that you were talking to that were like, wow, this, uh, this is really making for engaging stuff? Well, uh, I, I would say, you know, one of the things about the band is that uh, they're they're kind of a band's band in a lot of ways. You know, you can talk to pretty pretty much any A-list musician, if you will, 
and you can trace them back. They're they're influenced by this band. And so in the movie, we have people, we have Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters and Nirvana saying that he would not, you know, he he learned how to play the drums by emulating Bill Stevenson. Um, And we have like, uh, you know, one of the guys from Blink-182 saying they wouldn't exist without the band. You know, that getting the big names that people kind of know, people who don't know this band, uh, you know, that, that kind of lends some credibility, I suppose. But um, it, it's pretty funny, you know, some of the, my favorite interviews are people I never had even heard of and I didn't know anything about. But, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, uh, I don't know, people who are fans of this band who have been influenced by them and who have, like, hung around them all these years. They're just a group of very interesting people. And, you know, that's that's kind of the heart of the movie, I think, is how well-spoken and just interesting all the all of these interviews were. Talking to Matt Riggle, the film we're discussing is one he directed, he produced, he also helped write. It's Filmage, the story of Descendants All. And it screens on Tuesday, October 1st at 7 p.m. as part of the Edmonton International Film Festival. And Matt himself will be in town to escort it right to the theater. Matt, this film has some amazing live footage that uh, I thought really engaged me. And I love it, too, because it's so 1980s, this grainy VHS, you know. I mean, I I feel like uh, it's become the modern Super 8 in some ways, VHS now. Talk to us a little bit about that footage and and maybe um, how you decide to to cut in some of the live performances, which ones uh, meant something to you. How hard was it to track down some of the stuff? Yeah, well, <clears throat> the tracking down, <clears throat> you know, we put out, early on, we put out a call to, to fans, and, you know, the band, even on their Facebook and on their website, you know, said, hey, you know, get in touch with these guys if you have anything, and so we got a ton of stuff from people that no one has ever seen, um, uh, you know, professionals and just fans sent us stuff, Um and, you know, this band, like I was saying, their career spans more than 30 years. So we have pretty much every video format you can think of was thrown at us. And, you know, we basically embraced that. And we wanted we wanted it to look like the era because this band, you know, <laughs> when you play in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you're going to have a certain look about you, even if you're the descendants and try not to, you know. So... uh but, you know, and then Deedle, uh co-director and producer, Deedle LaCour, he, his eye of, his, his quality control is kind of what I would say, uh, you know, makes the movie look so cool because uh, he and our editor, James, they just made sure that we had the best quality version of whatever it was you know they didn't just go to youtube and rip something they trade they tracked down the person and tried to get the original in every circumstance they could and so it, it, just, it really especially when you see it on the big screen it's like you know it looks it looks amazing because of that alone Joining us on the phone today on Moving Radio, uh, I've got two people on the phone. I love it when I actually get two people on the phone. It's Matt Kowalchuk and Daniel Arnold. Uh, they are the creative duo behind the Edmonton International Film Festival's 
Lawrence and Holloman. That's right. The EIFF will be presenting Lawrence and Holloman, and that's on Friday, October 4th at 6.30 p.m., and uh, that'll be, of course, as every film is, at the Empire City Center Cinemas, and also Saturday, October 5th, there'll be a special 12 noon screening of it as well. And as a bonus, Matt and Daniel both will be in town for the screening. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have you guys on here. And I always love when I can get, like, uh, a creative duo to talk together about the film as well. For anybody that hasn't heard of Lawrence and Holloman, and uh, maybe it's beginnings as well, because there's uh, there's more than just this movie. There's there's stuff before this. Let's talk a little bit about the film and what people can expect to see on Friday, October 4th. It's a, it's a dark comedy. You know going in that uh, it's going to be funny and it's going to be painful, and hopefully not for the audience, but the characters. Uh, Lawrence and Holloman is about a couple of guys who are complete opposites in every way. Holloman is depressed and suicidal and cynical, and his life is just terrible. Every single day of his life is the same, and he uh, doesn't know how to change it. But of course, you know, he wants to, he just doesn't know how. We meet him at that same point in his life that he has every day, uh, and he meets Lawrence, and Lawrence is optimistic and happy and positive and everything that, that Holloman is not. And so uh, when they meet, Holloman sees uh, something that he hasn't seen before, uh, a reason for living, essentially. So Lawrence takes him under his wing, and Holloman's life gets a bit better. Uh, and as that happens, as he starts to meet the, the girl he's been... Uh, the girl he's never been able to talk to, he finally meets her, and he starts dressing up a little bit. As this starts happening, uh, what happens at the same time is that Lawrence's life starts turning, uh, takes a turn for the worse. He, uh, he's accused of cheating by his fiancée. He gets a complaint at work. And, uh, and then what else? And then it gets, <laughs> it gets really awful. Really bad things start happening. And if you see the poster image, you'll see that he's, uh, he's on uh, crutches. And <laughs> he's got a sling. And he, he starts getting hurt. Uh, bad things start happening. So then the question becomes... Uh, you know, how can this be happening? Uh, is someone after him, et cetera? The, the, the most important thing here is that Lawrence still stays positive no matter what happens to him. He's always got a reason why it, it's not that bad. And when you talk about, about the, the before the movie, what's before the movie is that um, our screenplay is based on um, the stage play uh, by Morris Panitch. And Morris is a... Uh, uh, Who? Warren. Uh, who, is, who is actually from Edmonton, yeah, originally. Yeah, from Edmonton, and um, he is one of Canada's you know, top playwrights. He's won the Governor General's Award twice, and this play, Lawrence and Holloman, premiered in uh, 1999, uh, and uh, it's had numerous productions you know, all over Canada and all over the world, and um, we picked it up in about 2000 and, what was it, 10, Matt? We, over the past couple of years, have been turning it um, you know, into a screenplay, and now it's a movie, and it's playing at a theater near you, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. We're talking on the phone today with uh, Matt Kowalchuk and Daniel Arnold, and we're discussing the film Lawrence and Holloman. 
Uh, so you refer to the uh, the actual play, which was the the source material for you. Um, yeah. How much did you guys kind of go through? Because whenever you, you you ask somebody to do that, um, clearly it's not like you want to take the material and change it too much, right? I mean, you want to keep what's what's at the core about it that you really loved. Um, so maybe talk to us about how, what the evolution was for the play to the screenplay for you guys. To begin with, the play is. Uh so witty and funny, and uh, the dialogue is just so dynamic and, and uh, hysterical, frankly. And uh, so uh, we tried to keep a, a lot of that, to keep, to keep um, um, Morris is a great writer that way. He knows his characters so well in that way. Um, and the premise itself, uh, like, you know, we didn't do anything to really change the, the overall premise. The, the main stuff we did was to... Um, to make it a, you know, essentially it's the old thing people say, you make it a movie instead of a play, you know. So um, we restructured a few things here and there. We um, made uh, the play is only 12 long scenes, and the movie is probably 40 to 45 scenes, I think. Um, so different, more more locations, mm-hmm. more scenes, and even more characters. There's a few more characters. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of it was about um, without losing the heart of it, the essence of it, and the hilarity. A lot of it was about creating a world around them because on stage you have these two guys alone, and that's the magic of the, of watching a stage play is is the audience does part of the work and and you get absorbed in it by imagining what's around them. Uh, in the movie world, most audiences don't take too kindly to that. So we had to create a world around them. Uh, and so it's not just these two guys. It's these two guys supported by the fiancé and the love interest and the co-worker and the mother and, and so on. And uh, so we had to create other characters that supported that world, fit in that world, and, and became a part of uh, what, you know, what began as Panish's world and, and ended up as a combination where we felt some, uh, a sense of ownership as well in the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there at any point where you you thought you're like uh, we can't take these characters far enough because <laughs> I mean you make not allusions to like uh, Laboot and also uh, Samuel Beckett and those are two very different things uh, one kind of dealing in uh, obscene at times cruelty and not in a bad way and then the mm-hmm. other dealing in you know the benign nature of life and I think from the stuff that I've watched about it that it does hit on both points. Uh, did you ever feel like you had to hold back? Because one seems to be kind of contrasting the other quite significantly. Well, I, I want to say just from the director's standpoint that built heading into production of it, I mean, the play doesn't hold back. The play is absurd and beautiful, and it goes to absurd lengths, and that's that's what we loved about the play. So heading into film, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people kind of uh, would give us uh, thoughts on it and go, "Well, wow, this is really out there," you know. Because it does, it does get absurd, and it is cruel. It is all those things that is is perhaps more palatable and more expected in uh, in the theater world. And so, when you take that into the film world, it is it's kind of a delicate balance. But heading into production um, as as director, the main thing was we said, you know, look, I, I'm not going to hold things back. We're not going to hold back. We're not going to pull our punches. This is uh, dark and surreal and hard hitting and cruel at times, um, but it's also hilarious and it's not hilarious if we do pull back so 
Well, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. If you want to know more about what's happening at the Edmonton International Film Fest, just go to edmontonfilmfest.com. You can check out the schedule. You can be a volunteer for the festival. All kinds of stuff that you can actually access. And uh, as well, there'll be an app for your phone coming up close to the festival as well, too. Remember, if you want to see Sex After Kids with our guest, Jeremy Lalonde, he will be there Saturday, September 28th at 7 p.m. As well, Matt Kowalchuk and Daniel Arnold, the duo behind Lawrence and Holloman, will be in Edmonton on Friday, October 4th and Saturday the 5th to premiere their film, And as well, another guest that's going to be appearing in Edmonton, Matt Riggle of Filmage, The Story of Descendants All, is going to be here for his screening on Tuesday, October 1st. So it's all that excitement and more. And of course, I want you to be aware that in one week's time, it's our last pre-recorded show before Fun Drive kicks off for us on the 27th. For CGSR, it kicks off on the 25th. And it's actually the exact same amount of time as the Edmonton International Film Festival. So I'm going to be ridiculously busy, but you can anticipate on the 27th of September as well as the 4th of October for the first time ever, full hour-long editions live of Moving Radio. So I'm asking uh, kindly maybe to start saving some pennies, collecting some bottles, and thinking about donating uh, to the station and maybe even hopefully this show if you love independent cinema and what it does for you and what this show does for you on CGSR please make sure that you dial and donate or hook yourself up into the internet and donate during the show on the 27th of September and also Friday the 4th be ready we're going to have special guests on both of those shows and some very special giveaways so that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio check us out next week another brand new all EIFF version of Moving Radio for September 20th and then the live shows on the 27th and 4th but don't you dare turn that dial because coming up next is the finest in feminist radio here on CJSR.